This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Few things seem to get people as riled up these days as talking about transgender kids competing in sports. Skylar Baylor knows that experience all too well. He was the first openly transgender athlete to compete on a Division I NCAA men's sports team. Next up is a story that's been generating headlines for weeks, from the Harvard Crimson to the likes of Time, the Washington Post, the New York Times, People, Cosmopolitan, Sports Illustrated, and other news outlets across the globe. It's the story of Skylar Baylor, the first openly transgender swimmer in NCAA Division I history. Recruited to the women's team, he'll be swimming with the men when he enters this fall, thanks in part to two coaches who gave him the option of swimming wherever he felt most comfortable. That was a bit from an interview with his collegiate coaches back in 2015. Now, Skyler is an advocate and educator for trans inclusion. His new book is called He, She, They, How We Talk About Gender and Why It Matters. So why does the way we talk about gender matter? We'll talk about it after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Let's get into it. Skylar Baylor joins us now. Skylar, welcome to 1A. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. First, why did you want to write this book? Who are you trying to reach? Yeah, you know, I've been doing education work on trans inclusion and gender literacy for over eight years now. Um, and and most of the time I'm talking to people who aren't trans, they're not part of the, the, this community, um, and they, they want to learn. And I found that while there is all this tension around this topic of trans people, trans identity, and gender, 
most people actually are wanting to be good people. Most people are compassionate. Most people want to learn, but most people don't know how to. And that's the population, really, those those most people that I wrote he, she, they for, to really give people that context, that background, that research, and center it all in the humanity of all of us, not just of trans people, to call people into this conversation that is often too heated. You said most people, and, and you make a point of trying to answer uh, questions that people ask. And for the the people who fall outside of that most category um how how do you navigate that space <laughs> that's a good catch yeah i say most because I, I think everyone right writing something for everyone is impossible um i say most because i think like like i was saying most people i think are well-intentioned. How do I handle the people outside of it? My hope is that the people that are of that most category who are going to step in um, and and lead with their humanity, they're going to have contact with those other folks who maybe won't pick up the book, who won't come to a training, who who maybe are, are thinking pretty negative things about trans people and really anybody who's different. Um, I, I think that our, our most, right, that, that category, um, can, can have contact outside of that and bring other people in. And so one of the things I hope he, she, they does is encourage allies to be allies to people who might never pick up the book. Hmm. Well, let's start with the basics. What is gender? Gender is a is a very complex topic, right? So a lot of people, when they talk about gender, um, they they mean actually biological sex. They mean uh, a, a, a combination of anatomy, physiology, biology that um, that we we assign a category. We say, okay, this is somebody's biological sex, and most people believe that those categories are either male or female. The reality is, even that is not comprehensive, and we talk about that in depth in the book. But biological sex can't be segmented neatly into these two categories. It's not binary. It's actually bimodal. Um, and so it's it's actually a spectrum. The other part of of, of gender that that we really want to focus on here is actually gender identity, um, which is a, a, a relationship with oneself, really, um, a complex biopsychosocial identity um, that that really has a lot of social uh, implications. Um, it's who I am. It's my own internal sense of my own gender. It does not have to match biological sex, though most people think it does. Um, so I think when we say gender, um, and, and this is why the, the subtitle of the book is how we talk about gender and why it matters, when we talk about gender, what do we mean, right? Um, and I think we really need to start centering uh, the conversation around gender, around gender identity, and understanding the complexity behind how gender has been constructed in society today. Now, I want to circle back to something you said about biological sex. You said it's sure. not binary, it's bimodal. Yeah. What's the distinction? Yeah. So binary says that there's basically two buckets and that's it, right? Everything goes into either bucket. Those are the only two categories and everything neatly fits into two buckets. Bimodal means that there's two modes and a mode is a, sort of in, in statistics, it's a data point that comes up most frequently. What this means is that we have sort of two general, very open categories and not really categories. They've got blurred lines on both edges where most people sort of congregate around these two sort of peaks. Um, but but everybody is on the spectrum, right, between uh, many different types of, of organizations and setups of people's biological sex. And it's it's bimodal um, because they generally congregate around these two peaks. And that's why uh, I think it's important to recognize that. Some people say, well, it's just a spectrum, and they think of it as a flat line. It's not a flat line, right? There are different modes, right, some common outputs of biological sex. Um, but even within those modes, those two sort of main categories, if you will, 
there's diversity, right? Not every single cisgender man, so man who is not transgender, not every single cisgender man has the same pitch of voice, has the same protrusion of Adam's apple, has the same amount of facial hair, and so on. So we even see differences and diversity within these supposedly neat little categories, which is why they're not distinct binaries. Well, we asked the 1A Text Club for questions about gender, and we got a lot of questions. <laughs> One of you texted, I am uncertain about meanings of cisgender, non-binary, etc. And another asked, how many genders are there? So let's start with some definitions, Skylar. Cisgender, yeah. transgender, yeah. non-binary, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So transgender uh, defines somebody whose gender identity does not match the gender they were assigned at birth. So there's a couple already words in there as well. So gender assigned at birth, when you're born, anybody, um, we're usually assigned a gender. And what that means is babies actually are not usually karyotyped. So we're not looking at their chromosomes. They don't usually have their hormone levels tested. They don't usually have their internal reproductive anatomy examined. Usually what happens is the baby's external genitalia are examined, and then the gender is assigned based on the appearance of the external genitals, right? So if your gender matches whatever you were assigned at birth, then you are cisgender. And if your gender doesn't match whatever you were assigned at birth, you're transgender. They're actually quite simple words, despite the fact that there's so much charge around them, but they're actually quite simple. Um, what was the next word you asked me to define? Uh, non-binary. Non-binary. Okay. Non-binary is, a, is an umbrella term that defines somebody whose gender does not match this binary conception of gender of only male and female. Many non-binary folks use that label in an expansive terms um, or expansive ways. And so I also think it's important to let the person who's non-binary let you know what that means for them because it can be a lot of different things, um, but essentially just not within that binary of male or female. We also got this text. How do you delve into your identity to discover yourself? I have questioning thoughts sometimes, but I often find myself shutting down my own curiosity with, I am just what I already am. Mm. Skylar, your journey to figuring out your identity, what did that look like? You know, I think it was definitely a winding path in many ways. I, I, I remember knowing a lot about my trans identity when I was a kid, but not having the words for it. And what I mean by that is when I when I was a kid, I, I dressed myself in the ways that I felt comfortable. Um, I, I had a short haircut because that was, was what was what felt comfortable. I asked to play boys soccer, boys lacrosse, boys baseball, all despite the fact that at birth I was assigned female. And for my childhood, I was called girl, I was called sister, I was called daughter. Um, but I just sort of pressed into the ways that made me feel comfortable. However, I was bullied a lot for that. And, and I spent a lot of time feeling othered, feeling isolated, feeling weird, and not having the word transgender to understand myself. And so instead, I would call myself tomboy. Um, I'd call myself not girl. I would call myself not girly because I, I didn't have the word for actually I'm a boy. Um, and, and I think because of the way that the world works and especially a lot of the lack of education that, that was not present, right? There wasn't enough education at the time. Um, I didn't have community either. I couldn't look to other people and be like, oh, that that's the word I'm looking for. Um, so I, I buried a lot of my identity in high school. I tried to be this woman that everybody wanted me to be. I, you know, I wore the high heels, I wore the makeup, I dressed myself as the other girls did. And I, I just became so miserable. Uh, and it wasn't until I took a gap year to really dive into my mental health and figure out what was going on for me. I was struggling with suicidality, with an eating disorder, with self-harm. Um, really, really miserable, despite the fact that so many things in my life were, were going for me. Um, 
And it was during that that gap year of, of treatment, of therapy, that I was able to dive into what were some of the incongruencies that I hadn't been paying attention to. And one of those things was gender. Um, and I was able to discover that I'm trans. Uh, that explained a lot of my childhood. It helped me figure out why I had felt so disconnected from myself. Um, of course, it posed a lot of other other barriers and 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 concerns going forwards. But um, but I always say that that learning that I was trans and being able to accept that in myself was stopping battling myself. And I can always battle other people, and I can always step away from battles with other people. But I can never step away from a battle for myself. So coming out was was something that really really helped me. Hmm. One of you texted us about something that seems to trip a lot of people up. My question is simple. Why don't people understand the difference between the term sex and gender? <laughs> gender has many cultural expressions, whereas sex is basically biological. Skylar, yeah. what do you what do you think? Yeah, well, there's a actually there's a I think a very simple reason why we we don't distinguish between these two as a society, and the reason is actually rooted in a very violent history of colonization. Um, and you might think, wait, what? I thought we were talking about biological sex and gender. Why are we suddenly talking about colonization and also racism, white supremacy? Well, there's there's actually a pretty significant amount of historical evidence and anthropolo- anthropological evidence that supports that part of the ways that a lot of European colonizers colonized was by impl- Im- imposing these gender standards, right? They said, okay, these people are women and these people are men. And now let's, let's essentially break the society from within. Um, and so there was a lot of conflict from within societies that they was created through imposing a specific binary of gender. We're going to head to a quick break here. When we return, we talk about pronouns. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. By the end of this message, two people will be told they have cancer. Yes, every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. But by the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. A gift of any amount to the American Cancer Society can help those facing cancer get free rides to care or a free place to stay closer to treatment. Donate today at cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our discussion about gender with this text we got from one of you. For, for, for 30 years, I've identified as a cisgender gay man. I'm now in a phase of my life where my ideas about sexuality and gender are more fluid, and I struggle with what man or woman mean beyond stereotypical traits. 
I don't feel that I'm transgender, and at the same time, I don't know that I identify much as a man anymore. So while I affirm anyone's right to self-determination when it comes to identity, I feel more and more at sea around binary gender and what man or woman means to people who are transgender. I suppose my question is, in terms of gender as a social construct, what did the identity of man mean to Mr. Baylor, and what qualities did man embody for him that woman did not? Skylar? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, and it's something that I've been asked frequently and in lots of different tenors. I, I think this this uh, method of asking was very thoughtful and compassionate. But I do want to say sometimes this question can be a very angry question, right? Which is something along the lines of, well, you know, if, if you can just be a man, Skylar, what, you know, what does being a man even mean, right? It can be a very angry and very heated question. Um, and sometimes this can this can then be a, a microaggression or, or a macroaggression, depending on how you look at it. Because Nobody asks cisgender people, right, people who are not transgender, how they know that they're men or how they know that they're women, but they demand dissertations from trans people. So before I answer the question, I wanted to name that because I think it's really important to understand that demanding explanations of gender and gender theory and gender history from trans people simply because we are trans can often be an undue burden on us. Um, That said, it's something I've thought about a lot. Um, and it's something that I asked every trans person that I interviewed for my book. And I, I talked to more than, you know, 15 community members. Um, and it's fascinating because a lot of the answers that we have to what does gender mean to us, by the way, cisgender or transgender people alike, things are, the answers are often qualities that I think are universal, feeling confident, feeling empowered, um, being able to enact gentleness, feeling soft, right? Um, and so for me, thinking about masculinity and manhood has always been a bit tenuous because I feel like I have to come up with a, this is how I know I'm a man. Um, and, and the reality is I don't have a very clear answer of this is how I know, except that I know and except that I feel comfortable in, in this presentation of myself. And if we understand gender as a social construct, gender as something that has been assigned to us that we can actually take back, then maybe it doesn't matter how exactly we define man or womanhood and rather that we let everybody have their bodily autonomy and their self-determination to define themselves for themselves. It, it occurs to me in speaking with you and reading the book, you you underwent a process that was really a, a, rather, a rather long process that was mm-hmm. focused on claiming your identity for yourself, right. knowing who you are for yourself. But you've taken on the work of trying to educate people about trans experiences. And I wonder if in, if in some ways it's required you to, I don't want to say give up that ownership, but open it in, mm. cer- in certain ways to give people access um, so that you can answer their questions, but in ways that maybe aren't always comfortable. Sure. I appreciate that. You know, I think that, you know, I chose from a pretty young age. I was, I was just 19, like just had turned 19 when I gave my first interview. Um, and I really haven't stopped since then. I'm 27 now. And I, I think, um, I chose to do so because I I didn't see people like me. And I really wanted to make sure that other people who felt as alone as I had and as, as, you know, futureless as I had could Google, could look up online and and find me or somebody, right? It didn't matter who it was to say, you know, yes, you belong here too. But in doing so, yes, you're right. I've given a lot of myself or opened a lot of myself to the world. Um, 
And so it's, it's demanded or encouraged, depending how, on how you look at it, me to really ask myself, what pieces of myself do I get to keep? What pieces of privacy do I protect? How do I become and, and continue to be uh, an effective educator, which I think in the work that I do specifically as a trans athlete and advocate, de- it demands me being open about my experience, demands me storytelling and, and, and divulging private parts of my life. How do I do that? And then also keep my sanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so what the the sort of central way I've done it is a reminder that authenticity is for me and for me only. I think there's this belief that authenticity is, is you sharing yourself with the world. That's me sharing my authenticity, but my authenticity is actually all mine. And so I get to choose which pieces I invite people into, but I also get to choose which pieces I don't. And I'm, I'm very intentional about that as much as I can be. I want to read another message we got from someone and and there's a couple of things to unpack. They texted, gender issues, with quotes, are part of the downfall of this society. Seriously, no one really cares about your sexuality. I'm going to talk about sexuality mm. in, in just a moment, but has it been your experience that people really don't care? <laughs> it depends on who you're talking about. <laughs> so... Um, how do I answer? This is a really, I think it makes you think this is a good question. So when I first came out, which was 2014, um, I think people were much more open to being supportive. They were, there was a lot more, I don't know what this is. Can you share more about it with me? Uh, and, and when that happens, humanity is more likely to lead, right? Love is more likely to lead because you're, I don't understand. Help me understand. Like, let me walk through this with you. Fast forward to now we are inundated with propaganda, with lies, with a lot of disinformation, which is really propaganda and lies about trans people, right? A lot of people that are doing exactly the opposite of what every single major medical association has recommended. What is all the experts have said is science agrees with trans people and the existence of trans people, right? We've got all these people pouring out propaganda about trans people. And so we're not starting it. I don't know. We're actually starting it. I think I know. And the thing I think I know is wrong, right? Or is hateful or is discriminatory. Um, And so it has become more difficult to talk about. Gender issues are a massive uh, a tension point in our society right now. But the issue, and I think the real effectiveness of the people pushing anti-trans rhetoric is because they're playing on very base, very real, very valid fears and desires, right? People want to protect women. People want to protect children. And so what's happening with the anti-trans rhetoric is people saying, okay, well, we know everybody wants to protect children. Great. Well, let's just say that trans children and the concept of gender from care is threatening to children and boom, we get all of these laws to reduce bodily autonomy passed, which is their goal in the first place, right? But it's not about trans people and it's not about gender affirming care. It's not about sports. It's not about bathrooms. It's about control. So in the in the message I just read, they talked about gender issues and talked about sexuality. Break down the difference <laughs> between gender sure. identity and sexual orientation. So seeing them as distinct, I think, actually can be problematic, and I'll explain why. All right. So gender identity, I think of it as an arrow pointing inwards. It's who I am. It's my own internal sense of my own gender. Sexuality is an arrow pointing outwards to whom I am oriented, right? And sexuality, though, when we label that that sort of orientation of to whom I am oriented, sexually, romantically, physically, what you know, what have you, um, we label that based on the gender of the arrow it's pointing towards and the gender of the arrow it, you know, from from which it points. Um, and so, for example, because I'm a man, if the arrow points towards a woman, that arrow we would label as straight, um, just just for example. Um, 
when we think about gender as a construct and we and we don't and we try to liberate ourselves from this very binary sense of gender has to be male or female then those labels to the sexuality can also begin to fall and not be as relevant but we have really rigid understandings of sexuality because we have rigid understandings of gender identity so i think they are really interrelated um but i will say that it it does seem more difficult for people to wrap their heads around gender uh not being fixed than they do um sexuality not being fixed. And I think that's because in, ter in terms of sexuality, if somebody loves somebody else, I think most people can eventually get to the point of like, okay, it doesn't matter what you're doing at home with whoever, right? But gender, when I say I'm trans, a lot of people will feel that their understanding of the world has somehow become unhinged, right? It's the whole, well, if you're just a man, then what does that mean about my manhood? To which my answer is always, nothing. <laughs> my manhood is mine. Yours is yours. But because it's such a core, core identity that we're taught to categorize into male and female and only those two things from a very young age, disrupting that by saying, actually, there's more, right? Actually, there's complexity can be really uh, terrifying to some people and they should look inward, but instead they externalize and they discriminate. We got this text. Gender does matter. The ongoing power differential of the patriarchy demonstrates this. As a preacher in seminary, we struggle to find ways to speak of God without assigning gender, as Genesis clearly states that we are all made in God's image. The problem with English pronouns is that there is no gender nonspecific term in the singular. One could speak of oneself, but usually we use they as the alternative to he or she, which becomes plural and confusing. We need to work harder to come up with a nonspecific gender pronoun in the singular so as not to confuse. We also got this voicemail. I fully support people's right to determine their own identity. However, the use of a third person plural pronoun for a singular individual is confusing for people like me who are older. Could we find something else? So let's start with how pronouns relate to gender identity. Sure. Yeah. So just to make sure we all understand with what pronouns are, because I have also been, had people tell me, like, well, I'm not going to interact with anybody who has pronouns. Um, everybody has pronouns <laughs> and everybody uses pronouns, right? So he, she, they, those are all pronouns. Um, and they relate to gender because especially in English and in many other languages, uh, pronouns are gendered, which means that the pronouns we use to refer to somebody in third person often have a gender assigned to it. So for example, he and him are gendered pronouns. They're gendered male. She and her would be gender pronouns, gendered as female. Um, and they and them are are, gen, are gendered neutral, right? So they don't have a gender assigned to it. Um, they also can be used as a plural pronoun, and they also can be used as a singular pronoun. But as the person stated in the voicemail, that can sometimes be confusing for people who are, quote, older. I say, quote, older, because actually they then entered the English language many, many years ago, um, centuries ago, and actually was used as a respectful singular uh, a pronoun for um, a, one person in a formal sense. So it's fascinating because here's the, here's the center point that I want to make, which is language changes and language evolves. And we should let it because as it does, so does humanity, right? And actually it's humanity that's evolving and, and language is catching up. People will always say things like this to me, oh, the, you know, you're just using made up words. Words. Yes, I am. Every single word ever is made up. <laughs> Literally all of them. And they're made up by humans with the purpose of communicating. We'll take a quick break here, but we'll be back with more of the conversation in just a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit slash NPR and save an additional 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Washington Wise. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Let's get back to our discussion about gender. Skylar, what are the right questions for people to ask to avoid misgendering someone? Well, so I always recommend that people, instead of asking the one person whose gender you're not sure about in the room their pronouns, instead offer yours, right? I think it's much easier uh, to just say, hi, I'm Skylar. I use he, him pronouns. How about you? Instead of going like, oh, you, I don't know your gender. What are your pronouns? Or even asking everybody their pronouns. I think it's better to offer the information and expect somebody else to share or, or mirror the information you give. Um, that's how I go about it and how I recommend. And there's a lot more recommendations in the book as well. The second question you asked about apologizing. Um, this one I think is really close to my heart because I've been misgendered a lot. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it can be a very painful experience. I think the shortest way to describe the feeling of being misgendered, and obviously I can't speak for, for you know all trans people, but for a lot of us, um, it can be very painful because what it says is, I don't see you and I don't care enough to see you. And I think it can be a a deep dredging up of a lot of pain we've experienced for maybe decades, right, of not being able to be seen as ourselves. And I think everybody wants to be seen, right? I think even cisgender people, people who are not trans, don't like to be misgendered, don't like to be called the wrong names or the wrong pronouns. But there is this, this, I think, deep history for a lot of trans folks. So when we misgender people, which all of us are going to do at some point, because we're all human and we all make mistakes, we need to recognize the gravity of the moment. We need to correct ourselves, apologize, and then move on. And the moving on is actually important because if we get stuck in that moment, we make a big deal out of our guilt instead of letting the person have their space and move on. Um, There's a lot more to talk about, I know, today. So I encourage you to check out the book to really dive into that because I've got lots of tangible recommendations. We also got this question. Please help my ignorance. Why are so many people saying they are trans now? What has changed? (laughs) Yeah, what has changed? There's a lot more access that we have to each other. So there's actually not people becoming transgender, there's people learning that this word actually fits them. There's community, there's resources, there's the ability to finally talk about our identities and connect with each other. And so people are actually being able to understand themselves more than they were before. But we're not becoming trans. We're just learning the courage, the resources, and the access to be able to, to speak it. Well, and, and in your research, what did you learn, and, and you alluded to this earlier, about the way Gender is is talked about, um, expressed in in non Western cultures. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that that people forget when when we think about gender. Something sometimes we often focus on gender expression. Actually, a lot of times we focus on gender expression, which is the qualities of how we present ourselves, how we look, how we talk, how we act that we then assign to gender. Right. So we might think about like a a, a pantsuit with a tie and a um, and a collared shirt as a masculine gender presentation, but that doesn't mean the person wearing that is a man. And these also shift over cultures and periods and times. There was a big blow up about, you know, bring back manly men and getting angry that certain Western men were wearing dresses. And the reality is that if you look historically in many societies, or even presently in many societies that are not Western, dresses are incredibly common for many men and many people to wear. Um, And so the concept that we've got these very, again, rigid gender roles, in addition to the concept of gender itself being rigid, um, I think is very Westernized and again, goes back to this history of European colonization and white supremacy. Premises standards of who gets to be a man and who gets to be a woman. 
Well, there's a Republican-led push in states across the country to ban trans kids from competing alongside their peers. When we talk about men identifying as a woman to play in sports, we still hear about how we are accommodating their feelings. But there is a big part missing from that conversation. What about the woman? Why are we putting women's sports under attack? This bill is not against anybody, but it is for all women. That was North Carolina Republican State Senator Vicki Sawyer. Earlier this year, legislators in North Carolina overrode the governor's veto to pass a bill barring transgender women and girls in the state from competing on most middle, high school, and college-level sports teams that correspond with their gender identity. According to ESPN, According to an ESPN tracker, 18 states passed laws restricting participation in sports for trans women and girls since 2020. Five other states passed laws applying to all trans athletes. And competition in sports is something a lot of our listeners wanted to talk about, Skylar. I'm sure you get questions about this all the time. As an athlete, you have a unique perspective. Your thoughts? Yeah. So this is a very dynamic and complex conversation that people often think is about fairness and trans people and sports and biology, but many of the driving factors politically are ideology. So swimming is an interesting sport. Swimming is a sport in which you really can't say somebody isn't better if they are. It's a numeric sport. You're either faster or you're not, right? And we can actually measure uh, populations by the cut times, the qualifying times that they can get to specific meets. And, and in fact, what's really fascinating and this is oftentimes blows people's minds. Um, the girls cut time. So the girls qualifying times for swim meets up till about age 11 or 12 are faster than the boys. So that's the first thing is we have to stop under or, or thinking that there's this inherent disadvantage that girls have before the age of puberty, because there isn't any evidence that supports that. In fact, there can be contrary evidence because girls are socialized uh, um, to pay attention in school <laughs> and pay attention in sports. And so they actually compete better um, in many sports before the age of 12. The next thing is, is people are talking about puberty, right? And they're talking about biological differences. There are biological differences that arise from having higher levels of testosterone in the body after puberty. And we have seen research on that and that I'm not going to dispute. However, there's a couple really important key things to recognize. And the, the first is that in elite level sports, where you include trans people, specifically trans women, all elite level sports that I know of require trans women and trans girls even to reduce their testosterone levels to match the levels of cisgender women in that category. So this argument that testosterone is going to have some sort of effect to change whether or not a person can be you know, better or worse is not true, right? So we have an active policy in the NCAA and in many, many um, of the elite level sports, actually all of them again that I know of that requires this suppression of testosterone for trans women to compete in the women's category. But that said, people do say, oh, but they're just taller and they're stronger and they're bigger. And the thing is that when we start to police women's bodies based on who is taller or who is stronger or who is bigger, we are going to police all women's bodies. And so when people say that excluding trans women is going to help the women's category, it won't. It's going to do exactly the opposite because it polices the women's category and it says, who gets to be woman enough? So what I think people really need to think about when we when we conceptualize sports is sports are inherently unfair, right? They're actually made to be unfair because if they weren't unfair and everybody performed exactly the same way, we would we wouldn't have a race. We wouldn't have a competition, right? So what do we want to segment sports based on? And then can we research that well enough to create categories that are meaningful? And that's the really important part. We want meaningful categories, not where categories don't have any sort of difference because the difference is how sports work. 
We've talked about gender-affirming care on this show before, and it was the focus of a conversation we hosted in Austin, Texas last year. And at that event, we heard from a trans teenager who told us what gender-affirming care meant for him. I, I just didn't know how terrible I felt about myself until I got to, you know, become myself and see how strong I could be and how, you know, beautiful I could become. And I... It breaks my heart that any child would get that taken away from them. And I hope and I hope that no child ever does have to go through that. You can find that conversation at the 1A.org. We heard from a number of people who said, I, I want to come out, but I, I'm afraid to. And we're, we're looking to you for, for some guidance or support. Yeah. Listening to that clip was was painful, you know, I have to say. Um, I have listened to a lot of people with similar fears um, and, and pain and sort of the combination of the beauty of being able to walk in to one's own identity and self and body while also watching this country ban that, that capacity for so many other mostly young people, right? Um, it's a painful tension. And, and I think of that every day, right? I look in the mirror and I see myself. And for a long time, I didn't see myself. And for the past probably five to eight years, I, I've grown further and further into myself. And there's so much joy and peace in that. But these days, when I see myself, I, I remember how many of us can't see ourselves, right? And and don't have access to seeing ourselves. Um, when I think about young people specifically, but any trans person who wants to come out, but is afraid to, I, I really have a lot of empathy. And I, I'm not here to say it's all going to be fine, because I, I don't know that. Do I think it will be fine over time eventually? Yes, because I do think and believe that humanity will progress forwards, but not before going backwards, right? Like is it, like it is now. So there's a lot of validation that I have for the pain and the fear somebody has. I, I don't, I'm not one of those people that says you need to come out no matter what. I, I think you need to do what works for you. And what this really is, is a, is a call to all the people who are not trans here to step into this fight. Because the people, the, the tears that you heard in that in that clip are rampant, right? We actually have research that supports that the the in states where anti-trans legislation is being debated, not even just being passed, but just being debated, trans youth are more likely to be depressed, to use self-harm, and be suicidal, right? So these are impacting young people deeply. And the reason for that is because they're being told that they don't belong here, and no kid should ever have to with 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 withstall that message. That's Skylar Baylor. He was the first openly transgender athlete to compete on a Division I NCAA men's sports team. His new book is called He, She, They, How We Talk About Gender and Why It Matters. Skylar, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I hope everybody enjoys the book. Today's producers were Amanda Williams and Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary.